Good morning, church. Welcome. What a time in worship this morning. Amen. So good to be in God's presence. So good that we can stand as one body and say those words, Jesus, at the center of it all. And when we put him at the center, uh, we'll never be disappointed. And when we put our trust in him, we'll never be put to shame. We're glad that you're with us this morning. My name is Pastor Chris, and we are this summer going through an exciting series of messages entitled Epic. We are going to be walking through some God-sized stories. And here's what I know. I know that God's word is timeless. It's his truth for us today. I know that our God, the Bible says the same, yesterday, today, and forever. And so as we see these stories unfold in the lives of not extraordinary people, very ordinary people as we'll see today, people much like you and I, that God can do and desires to do the same things we read about in Scripture in the lives of his children today. Do you believe it? Do you believe that we serve a God who can still move mountains, who can still part seas, who can still bring back the dead to life, who can still heal disease? I don't know not enough of you believe that this morning maybe, but this is the God that we serve. And, uh, And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it's my prayer And I want it to be your prayer this summer that the Lord will begin to tell an epic story in the midst of your life. As you don't just go through this summer, like many other summers, trying to get God on board with our story, but let's figure out, Lord, what story do you have that you're telling that I can become involved in? We want to be a part of a God-sized story, the story he's unfolding in our hearts and lives. So we've started through this series, and just to remind you, it is accompanied with a Bible reading plan that in 40 days, we're going to read through a big portion of the Old Testament together as a church. Uh, Each week, there's only five days of reading, so you get a couple days of rest or catch-up to do Today, if you want to pick up this bookmark, if you didn't get one yet, it's out in the foyer. Um, And if you read for 40 days with us, we will go from Joshua all the way through the book of 2 Kings. And what you're going to see are some God-sized stories unfolding there. So uh, congratulations to everyone who uh, completed week one of reading. Can you give yourselves a round of applause? I know that's, for some, it might be a lot uh, that you haven't read that much. Uh, Maybe in your normal Bible reading, it's it's shorter than that. But as you dive in and dive deep into God's word, I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you each day. I've seen some of you posting to Facebook or social media as you are reading and as the Lord's putting things in your heart. Keep doing that. Uh, Keep sharing. You can use some of the hashtags, uh, God-sized story. Uh, God-sized stories or something like that to continue to allow others to follow along with what God's doing here. Uh, Don't stop reading. Don't stop journaling and remembering and spending time each day in God's word. We want to uh, also point you to our website, evangelchurch.com. If you want to listen to the readings each day, if you want to find this in a digital format, you can go there and you'll click on the epic picture and find everything you need. Those that are watching online, you can go there right now and check that out. Well, as we're diving in today, you'll see uh, your reading last week brought you through the entirety of the book of Joshua. And last week we talked about Joshua because that was a turning point in God's story, his unfolding narrative that we see and know as God's word, the scriptures. It was a moment in time when God fulfilled a promise that was made over 400 years earlier. Hundreds and hundreds of years had passed by, but God was faithful to fulfill his promise. It's not always in our timing that God moves. Sometimes it's in his timing. We have to respect his timing uh, there. And there's sometimes that God wants to move, but our stubbornness gets in the way of his timing. And in those moments, I'm so thankful for his grace that we could forget about him, but he'll never forget about his children, that he remembers the cry of his people. And a journey that was supposed to take 
11 days to get from Egypt to the promised land cost them 40 years in the wilderness. But after those 40 years and after a whole generation had died in the wilderness, the Lord went to this man, Joshua, a man who had faith to cross over many years earlier and had not given up trusting the Lord. And he said, arise now. It's time to enter in to the land that I've promised. And that was an invitation into God-sized stories that unfolded. And as you read, you saw not only were the, the waters of the Jordan River parted, not only did they pass by on dry land, but also you saw that walls came crumbling down. You saw that, uh, that territories were taken over. You saw that the people saw God's hand to bring them victory time after time after time. And when Joshua gets to the end of his life, here's what he says. Not one of God's good promises has gone unfulfilled. I want to tell you something today. If you honor the Lord and walk in obedience to what he calls you through, you will stand at the end of your days and you will be able to say of the Lord, not one of his good promises have gone unfulfilled. Do we believe today that we serve a God who is faithful? He's a God who is faithful. He's a God who we can trust. He's a God who works all things together for good. And I'm so thankful for that. When we're faithless, he's still faithful. And that's an important thing to remember because today we're going to take a look at Judges. And if there was ever a phrase that we needed to allow to get into the depths of our heart is this, is that when we're faithless, he's still faithful. And that's the unfolding story in the book of Judges. I have on my desk a few different things that, that I will look to at times to just remind me. They're normally objects that, um, that I've picked up in antique shops or found in places, and I've, I've always been interested in them. And uh, what I have in my office are a few compasses. And it's not because I like to go sailing or I don't know how to work the Maps app on my iPhone. I do know those very well, um, kind of well, right, Mandy? Uh, but I like the compass because I just, I, I think it's interesting the way that it works and how how long people have been using compasses for as a means of direction. And so I'll normally have it there. It's, all, it's also a reminder to make sure that I stay on course and that we stay on course. And I think a compass serves an incredible reminder because no matter where you are, it can always point you to true north. In the same way that no matter where you walk in this world, there's always the Lord that's there. And if you're willing to turn to him, if you're willing to look to him, he can point you true north. He can find the way. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. But I want to tell you that tomorrow, if we stopped, if we woke up in the morning and for some reason the magnetic fields in this world stopped working the way that they currently do and every person looked at their compass, they would no longer find true north. That true north is really based on the magnetic fields that are at the two poles of, of, our, of our globe. And that is what allows us to find a way to measure how we go, where we go, and when we go. Um, and so that's so vitally important for us to understand, for us to remember as we think about navigation, that we are depending on a force that we can't see to guide us and lead us in the right direction. And the same is true spiritually in our relationship with God. When he is there, when he's at the center, when we're looking to him, when we're looking to his word, we will always find our way. But when God is removed, it'd be the same. Just imagine that no longer would compasses work, that the magnetic field was removed. Although you couldn't see it, we've relied on it for hundreds and, and hundreds and hundreds of years. Whenever we look at a, a, a culture or a society where the God has been removed, people then begin to wander aimlessly. And that causes all kinds of destruction and all kinds of devastation. As I'm talking, some of you say, Pastor, this sounds familiar. Pastor, this feels a lot like what I'm seeing in the news and in the newspapers every day. It's because it is. 
as a part of the unfolding events that will happen before the end, before our Lord and Savior returns, that the days are going to get darker. And people will wander more and more aimlessly. And you can see in different places where God has been removed, that no longer do a people look to the Lord, no longer do they remember his good works, they will wander aimlessly. People, they perish for what? Lack of vision. A lack of an ability to see what God is doing. If the people don't see what God is doing, then they will stumble over themselves and perish. The reason I tell you this is because we've just walked through the story of Joshua, where God has shown up, where he has laid before the people a way, and they walked in that way, they walked in unity, they walked in obedience, and God met them every step along the way. There was a critical moment there where he actually calls them to step into the the Jordan River on dry ground and pick up stones from the center and to make a memorial for them to remember so they could tell their children and their grandchildren and generations to come to say this, remember the God that we serve is the same God that parted the waters of the Jordan. He's a faithful God. But something happens when we get to the book of Judges. Joshua's generation passes and a new generation comes And one of the saddest verses in Scripture is found in in Judges chapter 2, verse 10. Here's what it says. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. I want to tell you something today, church. We're one generation away. Europe was one generation away years ago. Whenever you saw that over 70% of the people in Europe were believers in Jesus Christ. But a generation came and a generation passed and now you can look at a radically different nation that is filled with churches but deplete of Christians. That is filled with buildings and that's all that they are is they look nice on the outside. People who have become dry to religion, who have tucked away, who have really blended into the culture around them and what people are saying is that America is on that same trajectory. But here's what God's word says, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, then I will hear from heaven. If they'll turn from their wicked ways, I'll heal their land. We're one generation away from seeing something fatal happen inside of our world, inside of our country, inside of our nation. But I also believe that we could be one generation away from seeing a revival breaking out and God moving in power and signs and wonders. It's so critical, the world and the time that we live in today, church. And I want to tell you, if we're going to see God move in power again, if we're going to see ourselves move away from some of the fatal flaws, the things that I believe are sewn into the fabric of the world around us and walk into the abundant life that Christ has for us, then it's going to start with the church. It's going to start with the people of God. It's not going to start with us pointing fingers outside and saying, look how dark the world is getting. It's going to be us taking a look at God's word. It's going to be us fasting, praying, repenting, being on our knees and saying, Lord, make us the light that shines brightest. Make us a people, Lord God, who will be your representatives in this world. Lord, help us to walk in a way that honors you. And so if that's your prayer today, I want you to know that the things we read about in scripture, because they happened, Decades or even thousands of years ago does not mean that these things are still happening today in the hearts of men because a lot has changed. The dress code has changed. Speech has changed. But you know what hasn't changed in all these years? The human heart. The human heart is still the same. The sins are still the same. They just have taken on different names and different forms and seem a bit more sophisticated today. But I want to tell you, the issues that plague the hearts of the people in the time of the judges are the same things that plague the hearts of people today.
And we need to see that there are some fatal flaws that were seen in the hearts of the people at that time during this period of the judges that we must learn from church. And we must walk in a way that honors the Lord and pleases him so that we can see our light shine, so that we could see ourselves walk and find his deliverance, find his uh, freedom and give us all that we need to live in the times that we live in today. So this generation rises up, a new generation. They don't acknowledge the Lord in the way that they live their lives and they don't remember his goodness. They don't remember all that he has done. And instead, they assimilated to the world around them. They became more like the world around them than they did like the people of God. The Bible goes on to say in Judges chapter 2 that before long, they didn't do what was right in the sight of the Lord because they weren't acknowledging him. And so they saw there were other gods and they thought that obedience to this God was optional. And you know what? It's popular to worship Baal and these other gods. And before long, Without that compass, without that way to navigate and to lead their lives, they started to go and bow down to other gods. They started to worship them. They started to become like the people around them instead of being a people set apart for God's purpose. They forgot about all that God had done to rescue them and to put them in that land. They began to develop an entitled spirit even inside of themselves. And as they did, they forgot. They were trying to enjoy all the benefits of God's blessing without any relationship with God. And I want to tell you something, that is a recipe for sin. That's a recipe to break the heart of God whenever we try to enjoy the blessings of relationship without any relationship. We're stepping outside, and they were stepping outside of their relationship with God. In fact, it actually says in Judges chapter 2, that it says they played the harlot after other gods. And it says, so God's anger burned against them, and what he did was he removed his hand from them. They didn't realize They thought it maybe was because of their own good looks or because of their strength or because of how great they were. That's why they were in that land and that's why they were experiencing all the blessings of God's hand. And all it took was God removing his hand for a moment for them to see the full weight of what it was like to not be with him, to not be in relationship with him. And so God removed his hand and the enemies of God, the people of that area, they rushed in. You see, the Israelites forgot about the power of their God. The people around them didn't. As soon as they recognized that God's hand had been removed, they took them. They came after them. They plundered them. And it just was then, in their darkest and most difficult hour, that they remembered the God of Israel. They remembered God. They realized at their lowest time, there was, you know what? There's a God that we can cry out to. And they began to cry out to God. It's heartbreaking. But like I said, the heart of man hasn't changed over all these years. Isn't it often in our darkest and most difficult hour, in a time of utter hopelessness, that's when we decide to turn to God? We haven't acknowledged him all along the way, but when we find ourselves in over our heads, then we turn, then we cry out to him. And that's what would happen in the book of Judges. There's actually a cycle that happened, that people experienced the blessing of God. They then forgot about the Lord. They then fell into sin. Their sin then led them into some kind of bondage, some kind of hopelessness. Then the Lord... They cry out to the Lord. He delivers them. They experience his blessing. They then forget about him. They then fall into sin. Their sin leads them into bondage. Their bondage leads them to cry out to God. Then God rescues them. And the cycle goes on and on and on throughout the book of Judges. And we get to one individual because the Lord raises up different leaders during that time and they're called judges. And the Bible tells us in Judges chapter 2 verse 16 who they were. It says the Lord raised up judges who delivered them from the hands of those who plundered them. 
This is the purpose of the judges that came. They weren't judges with gavels. They were more like militant warriors, people that God gave his supernatural empowerment to so that they could lead the people during this very, very difficult and desperate time, to a time where people were turning to the left and to the right, and they did what was right in their own eyes. One of the key verses you're going to read this week in the book of Judges is found in chapter 17, verse 6. And here's what it says. In those days there was no king in Israel. And every man did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone lived to do what was right in their own eyes. No longer were they following their Lord. No longer were they living in relationship with him. No longer did they want to do what was right in his eyes. They wanted to do what was right in their own eyes. How many of you know that if we're only judging things by our own eyes, we're going to miss it every time? Find every very patient wife in this room there is a husband who thought he knew where he was going on a trip somewhere, right? And the Lord has used that to make you more and more patient. Uh, whenever we look to guess, I know I've tried this when I've built things, and guess what? Nothing works as good as a ruler or a tape measure. If I just try to eye it up, get, you know what that thing's going to look like. It's already going to look difficult because that's not my skill and craft. But if I'm not measuring and I'm just eyeing it up, it's off every single time. So if we look to live to do what's right in our own eyes, it may look good based upon what someone else thinks or says, but we always have to come back to the standard, the rule, the ruler, the one who lays the line flat. He lays the plumb line and the level line for us in how we are to live our lives. And so judges were raised up and God used them as leaders during this time at very key moments. And there's one leader that God had set apart because the people continued to turn away. They continued to fall into bondage and they fell into the hands of a group of people that we are now going to read about for a long time. We're going to see, if you go with me, to Judges chapter 13, verse 1. It says this, that now, and you'll see it on the screens, the sons, the Israelites, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. So they did evil in the sight of God. And so the Lord allowed them to be delivered into the hands of the Philistines. These Philistines are a people that we are now going to hear about for generations. They're those that had come to inhabit the land as well. They had come, they were warriors that came, many believed by sea. And as they came to that place, they were looking to take over the people. They were not natives to that land. Instead, they came from different and distant places. And as they came together, they had a plan as well. They were going to take the land of Canaan. They were going to take it for themselves. They had different tactics on how they would do that. One of their very popular tactics was that they would intermarry into the culture, into the people, and then begin to turn them from the inside. They would begin to take over, not by military might, not by all those great demonstrations of power, but by subtly coming in and transforming from the inside out without people even realizing what was happening, to turn the hearts of the people towards their gods, towards their ways, until ultimately they would then rule and they would have control over these areas. And so that was their goal. And for 40 years, that's what began to happen. And the people had no recourse against it. But in their hour of need, the Lord was working. He heard them. And there was a woman who was unable to conceive And this woman was barren from birth. And as they looked to the Lord, the Lord spoke to her and her husband and said, you're going to give birth to a son, to a child. I will be with him. My spirit will be upon him. He's going to be a Nazarite from birth. He's going to be set apart from the womb. 
And so as she hears this, when she hears he's going to be a Nazarite from birth, that means that there is very special treatment that must be given to his life that he would now live under a Nazarite vow. That means that he would not come in contact with alcohol. That means he would not touch dead matter. That means that he would not cut his hair. His hair would grow long. And it would be an outward sign that he was set apart, consecrated unto God, that he was committed to the Lord for his whole life. And his name would be Samson. And Samson grew up. And many of you, you've heard the stories of Samson. Some of you very soon are going to go and see the story of Samson played out at sight and sound as you take a trip there. But as we take a look at Samson's life, here's what you need to realize. That we're not just looking at the life of one man. His life was also a picture, an illustration of the hearts of the people of that day. And so I want us to see in the life of Samson some of the fatal flaws that really we're continually leading people to destruction. The same fatal flaws that if you allow to go unchecked in your life will lead you towards destruction and how we can overcome them by God's grace. Amen? So let's take a look here. That as Samson is born and as he grows up, the Lord is with him. It actually says at the end of chapter 13 that the Holy Spirit began to stir Samson and begin to set him apart. But there are some things that Samson did to misstep. He was anointed. He was blessed by God. He had incredible strength, superhuman strength for the things that he was able to accomplish. But he didn't lean into it. You see, the Nazarite vow, all the things that he had done on the outside, that needed to be mirrored with an inward devotion to the Lord. There needed to be a deep commitment to the Lord. The first fatal flaw that came into Samson's life, and we see it in his story, is the flaw of compromise. That he began to compromise his commitment to God. And compromise is something that doesn't always happen on the outside. It normally can happen on the inside. And so before long, Samson began to compromise. He used to cut corners. He was looking for different ways around. He wasn't valuing that commitment to God anymore in the same way that he once had. Like I said, there was a very specific vow that he had taken. No alcohol, no dead matter, no cutting of the hair. There were also other rules that were given stipulations. One of them was that they were not to intermarry amongst the people who are pagan that did not know the Lord or acknowledge him, especially not the Philistines. You knew, and I just told you what the Philistines' plan was. It was to intermarry with the people and then lead them away from the Lord from the inside, turn them towards their gods. So the first thing that Samson does and we learn about as we, his story unfolds is that he leaves the people of God and he actually goes and wants to move down with the Philistines. And as he's going down and traveling among the Philistines, he sees a woman there. And he goes home to his parents and he says, Mom, Dad, I want her. The Bible actually says this. You ready for this phrase? This is what it, what it comes out to. She's right in my eyes. She's right in my eyes. I want her. Go get her for me. Her parents couldn't understand what was happening and how the Lord would actually begin to use this opportunity to help bring victory to the people of God. But he goes and he says, I want her for myself. And as he's going, so that's compromise number one. He then is traveling on his way down and a young lion comes up against him. The Bible says he ripped the lion apart with his bare hands and leaves him on the side of the road. And then he goes down and he's among them. And then on his way back, he comes to that same lion carcass. Look what it says in Judges 14 verse 8. It says, sometime later, he went back to marry this woman that he wanted to marry, this Philistine woman. And he turned aside and he looked at the lion's carcass. And there's a swarm of bees with honey. 
And he scooped out with his hands and he ate as he went along. And he rejoined his parents and he gave them some too and they ate it. He did not tell them he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Don't touch dead matter. He comes and compromises himself and begins to take it in and he's not telling them on purpose because he knows it compromises who he is. But he doesn't realize on the outside he has all the strength still. On the outside, he still looks straight. On the outside, everything looks fine, but he's compromising inwardly. And that compromise will soon become greater. And before long, it will lead to his destruction. It's a flaw. It's a fatal flaw if it goes uncorrected inside of his life. The first thing he did is he compromised his commitment. The second thing, Samson ignored his weaknesses. Incredible that a man of great, such great strength would have any weaknesses, but he did. He had two weaknesses, romance and revenge. His two weaknesses were romance and revenge. What was ever right in his own eyes is what he would do. So the first thing, he wanted to go after this woman. He didn't care if that honored the Lord. He didn't care if it didn't. He compromised it, and it was a weakness of his because she would be able to manipulate him. She would be able to do whatever she wanted with him because he would give in to her. And if he was taken advantage of, and if he was hurting, then he would want to take revenge on others. So the story unfolds as you go through chapter 14 of Judges, that he's going down and he wants to marry her. And as he's there amongst the people, the Bible says that he has 30 bridegrooms, the groomsmen around him. And these groomsmen that are around him, they stand there and they're all Philistines. Now, on your most important day of your life, right, the day you're going to get married, you look to your, to your left. I would have looked to my left. I stood right here at this altar and I saw people in my life that meant so much to me. The people in Samson's life that meant so much to him are these 30 groomsmen. They're all Philistines. They're not among the people of God. They're Philistines. They don't have his best interest in mind as we will soon see. And in one of his weaknesses, he gives in. He wants, to, he wants to fool them and he wants to make a mockery of everyone. And so he begins to say a riddle. And he begins to speak out this riddle among the people. And he actually makes a wager with them. He says this, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. So not only did he compromise himself, but he makes a riddle about it. So that people don't understand exactly what happened, but he's trying to almost flaunt and taunt the fact that he did something that they should be proud of. What was it? He killed a lion and then he ate honey out of its carcass he was proud of the fact that he compromised who he was against the Lord. And not only that, but he says it in such a way that he tries to make it a game with the people there. So he says this riddle, and he says to the groomsmen, he said, listen, if any of you in the next seven days of this wedding feast can figure out what it is that I'm saying through this riddle, then I'm gonna buy you all some new clothes. It'd be essentially the, the groom saying, hey, guess what, guys? You figure this riddle out, I'm paying for all your tuxes for the wedding. I'm paying for everything. He was that confident, that arrogant, that, that prideful to think that he would be able to stump them and that it was something worth him being proud of and announcing to them. And so they begin to work on it. And by the fourth day, the Bible says that they, they grow anxious because they're unable to solve it. So they go to the woman that he's about to marry. And here's what they said. They said, we want you to coax the answer out of him. We want you to trick him and get him to tell you the answer. So you tell us, if you don't, we're going to burn your house and your father's household as well. There's some good groomsmen to have with you, right? <laughs> they're threatening your wife by telling that they're going to kill her. They're going to kill her and her family, your fiance, if, if, if she doesn't do something for them. And so this is what happens. 
she goes and she begins to deceive, to coax. To coax someone literally means to seduce a simple-minded person. You see, Samson's weakness was apparent that through romance, through her saying the right things to him, she could manipulate him. She could coax him into giving her the answer. His weaknesses were apparent to the people. They knew. They knew that he would be able to, he wouldn't keep anything from her, that she could pull any information out of him, that he would compromise himself in her presence because that was a weakness of his. You know, the enemy knows that there are areas that were vulnerable, but sometimes we don't want to admit that there are areas that were vulnerable and weak. And sometimes the enemy will look to even exploit our weaknesses so that he can get us to step away from what God wants This is what's unfolding in the story of Samson, that his weaknesses are being manipulated. Everyone knows him but him. He he ignores them completely. And so once it happens, he tells her, she tells them, they come to him at the last moment, they say, hey, we figured it out. He gets so mad that he leaves there and he now has to give them 30 pairs of clothes. You know what he does? He goes off into a village, he kills 30 Philistine men and he pulls all their clothes off them. Don't touch a dead matter and goes and he gives them those clothes and while he's gone the father-in-law said I thought maybe you didn't like her and evidently I'm hearing all the crazy stuff you're doing so I let her marry someone else so Samson goes chapter 15 you'll read about it this week telling you there's some epic stories there are crazy stories that are unfolding I get the idea that Samson is this kind of college-age prankster with, with superhuman strength, he gets a bunch of foxes and he ties the foxes together and he lights their tails on fire and they run through all the vineyards and they take down the entire economy of the Philistines in one night. He burns all their crops. And they say, we can't believe you did that. So they go back to the woman he wanted to marry. They kill him, kill her, kill her household. He says, okay, you're going to do that. Then he one-ups it, and he kills a bunch of more of their people. And before long, you see he's bloodthirsty for revenge. Revenge and romance is two weaknesses that he continued to ignore. Before long, God finally gave him victory. And for 20 years, he was able to live his life. But you see, there were some issues that were under the surface, these fatal flaws, just because for 20 years he was able to live without any great upsetting or any great difficulty did not mean that the issues were gone. They still needed to be resolved and dealt with. The third thing that was a fatal flaw for him was he, he always leaned into his charisma over his character. He leaned into his charisma. Charisma is literally, it means a divinely conferred power or talent. So it's not just the ability to speak well. It's a divinely conferred power or talent. He leaned into the blessing of God, the anointing in his life, instead of the deepening of his character and commitment to God. He relied more on that charisma than on his character. And I want you to take a picture of this with me. Your charisma is what everyone can see on the surface. If it were a tree, the charisma is how high the tree grows. The character is how deep the roots go. The character in your life is how deep the roots are going. And the charisma is how tall, how much elevation you're receiving, how much people can see your talent, your gifting. And I want to tell you, if your character is out of proportion with your charisma, and your charisma ever over exceeds the depths of your character, then you will collapse. 
And this is what's happening. This is what's being set up in Samson's life. His charisma is taking him to a place that his character cannot sustain him. And before long, he's leaning in. He's not looking to grow. He's not looking to be a person of honor and integrity and honor the Lord and walk in righteousness. Instead, he's just focused on the outward and doing all those things. And it's eating away on the inside. So he continued to violate himself. He continued to do all these things to dishonor the Lord. And before long, at a time long after any of these things took place, that pitfall was right there waiting for him. His issues had never really gone away. They were lying in wait. And finally, he fell into a pitfall. And the fourth thing is this. It's the pitfall of pride. So think about it with me. If we choose to compromise our commitments, if we ignore our weaknesses, those are things that continue to lead us away from the Lord. They're fatal flaws. If we lean into our charisma and ignore our character and don't look to develop and build and honor our character, then we're going to collapse eventually. And finally, if we allow ourselves to be filled with pride, that pride will blind us even more. And could you imagine someone that is completely blind walking off a cliff into a pit? This is what happens. What does the Bible say that pride comes before what? The fall. There's a great fall that's waiting for Samson. He thought everything was great. He thought life couldn't be better. In fact, he continued to move forward. He continued to compromise himself. By the time you get to Judges 16, he heads out and he's there and, and he goes among the Philistines. He meets a prostitute, a woman that he should not be with in any way, but he decides that he's going to be with her. And romance is one of his weaknesses. And before long, she seduces him into giving away his secrets because the Philistines come and they say, We know his weakness. You're his weakness. Get him to tell you what happened. And if you do, we're going to pay you all this money. I think that it equated to something like $15 million they were offering her for money for her to be able to give up these secrets of what gives him his strength. So she asked him and he says, well, take some fresh bow cords and tie me up and that'll take away my strength. He's toying with her. He's so prideful that he just says stuff to to see what will happen. He doesn't even care. So that happens. They tie him up with bow cords. I'm thinking if if this is you and you're you're continually facing these things, you tell her something and then a bunch of people show up and do just the same thing that you'd get it after once or twice. So it happens once and he breaks free and he kills him. It happens again. He says, well, just tie me up with fresh ropes and then I won't. Okay, they do it again. By the third time, you've got to know that, like, something's up here. But by the third time, she asks him again. He says, well, why don't you tie all my, all my locks of hair together? This is a subtle moment that we don't pick up on in Scripture very often. That she's, he's now getting closer and closer to the truth. And he says, here, just touch my hair and tie my hair in knots, and that'll do it. So she ties his hair in knots. Comes in, that doesn't do it. Finally, she says, oh, you don't you love me? She puts it on really thick, and then he gives her the, the secret. And the Bible says... In Judges 16, verse 19, having put him to sleep on her lap, she lulled him to sleep. She called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair, and they began to subdue him, and his strength left him. And verse 20 says, then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you, just as she had the other three times. And he awoke from his sleep, and he thought, I'm going to go out before them and shake myself free. But here's the saddest part. He did not know that the Lord had left him. In that moment, he had compromised, he had gone so far, and he had gotten to a place where he didn't even recognize 
the Lord's presence with him anymore and that God had left him. And now he was only standing in his own strength. And it was there that he met his worst pitfall. They got him. They grabbed him. This man that had once been a mighty warrior for God who had done so much, they got him right where they wanted him. And I'm gonna invite the worship team to come forward at this time. They bound him, the Bible says in verse 21. They gouged out his eyes and they took him to Gaza. They, binded him, they bound him with, with bronze shackles and they set him up grinding in the prison. Samson's fate ultimately led to a blindness that came over him. But here's what we need to realize. He was blind long before they gouged out his eyes. He had grown so blind when he stopped seeing what God was doing. He was walking around blind without any sense of direction, trying to do what was right in his own eyes, all the while blinded to his weaknesses, blinded to the fact that he was dishonoring the Lord, blinded to the fact that it wasn't his strength that was giving him the victory, but it was the Lord's alone. And before long, he walked off a cliff and he found himself in a completely hopeless situation. And it's normally, just as I said, in those complete and utter hopeless places that people often turn to the Lord and that's exactly what Samson did. At his most desperate hour, he finally, the Bible should say there, finally prayed to the Lord in verse 28. And he said, O sovereign Lord, remember me, O God. Please strengthen me once more and with one blow could I get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then he reached towards the central pillars of the temple. He braced himself against them with the right hand and left. And he said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might and down came the entire temple, all the rulers, all the people in it. And thus he killed many more when he died, even than when he lived. That was the end of his life. It's a story of some victory over God's enemies, but it came at the expense of a man who God had gifted. It didn't have to go down that way. His life didn't have to be lost. But this is what happened. Because there were fatal flaws inside of Samson that he would not realize, he would not acknowledge, and he would not walk in. So for us today, we look at God's word. And I want to challenge you to look at your life and say, Lord, am I being plagued by some of these same fatal flaws that are leading me in a way that will not cause me to have abundant life, but will hurt me? and can prove fatal if unaddressed. So today, if that's you and you say, you know, pastor, I feel, I feel like there are some of those areas that are right within me, things that I know the Lord has to work in. And guess what? There's no shame in God's house today. There's no condemnation for that. Today, here's what I want. I don't want you to sit there and be blinded by pride. I want you to recognize what God's word's saying and I want us to apply God's word to our life so we can walk in freedom, amen? Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That does not mean that we continue on in our own ways and, and the Lord just comes to make us feel good and make us free. Part of the freedom comes where the Lord is gonna equip you with what you need through your knowledge of him to walk in that freedom. And so I wanna talk to you about some action steps, some things you can do today to begin to walk in that freedom, to begin to walk in the way that the Lord would have for you. The first thing that you need to do is you need to, and you'll see it on the screen here, acknowledge that you have a fatal flaw, that there is a fatal flaw in your life acknowledge it. Acknowledge it to the Lord. Call out to the Lord. Recognize it in his presence. The Bible says in Psalm 38, 18, confess your iniquity. I am troubled by my sin. This is what the psalmist says. I'm troubled by my sin and I confess my iniquity to you. Whatever it is, begin to confess that to the Lord. Begin to acknowledge it before him. Begin to become troubled by it. 
Second, admit that you need help. Until you admit, you're going to remain vulnerable. You'll never experience victory. Psalm 34, 17, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them and he delivers them from all their troubles. Don't sit back and don't wait. Cry out to the Lord who is your deliverer. And if you acknowledge it, if you turn from it, if you cry out to him, he will save you. He will rescue you from it. Then you want to avoid temptation. Flee from those areas of temptation. Move away from them. Don't put yourself in those situations anymore. Number four, ask for help. It's not enough just to acknowledge that problem, but ask, reach out, seek help. Seek out one of our pastors. Seek out someone that will walk with you, pray with you, stand with you in accountability in whatever area that might be. Ask for that help. There's a body of believers here. There are those that want to walk with you. There are pastors and leaders that want to meet with you and talk with you and, 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 and walk with you in any way that we can. And finally, and most importantly, assimilate God's truth into your life. Allow God's worth to word to be assimilated into your life. We need to stop assimilating to the culture around us and we need to start to allow God's truth to assimilate into us. That we become a different people, a set apart people and that only becomes through God's truth taking up residency in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. Psalm 119.11, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's so important that we stay connected to the vine as Jesus said in John chapter 15, that we remain in him, in intimacy with him. And as we do that, his truth begins to change us. The Holy Spirit begins to lead us. Jesus said he will lead us into what? All truth. Allow God's truth to lead us. Allow God's truth to fill our hearts, to fill our minds. And as we do that, we can begin to walk in the freedom that he has for us. We can begin to overcome the fatal flaws that the enemy would want to use to take you out. Let's not be taken out in this generation or in this day. Let's see us rise up and be the people that God has called and created us to be. Amen, church? Amen. That's his calling. That's his heart. That's his desire for us. This may be a hard truth. This may be a difficult message for some because you feel, you could feel the pricking of the Holy Spirit in this moment. But God's confronting you with that because he wants to change you. He doesn't want you to leave here the same as you came in. So would you stand with me today all around this room? Let's stand. And can we just yield to God's presence and to the Holy Spirit to speak into our hearts, to challenge us, to help us to commit today that we're going to walk in God's ways. We're going to walk in his wholeness and in his life. Lord Jesus, we come before you and we thank you today for your word. We thank you today for the reminder, Lord God, that in a dark day, Lord God, there's still a people that can stand for you, Lord God. You still hold a standard out. You still offer, Lord God, the aid of your Holy Spirit. Lord God, you give us lessons from your word so that we can avoid the mistakes and the flaws of the past. So Lord, help us today to apply your word and your truth to our lives so we can walk in your freedom in your victory over these areas lord we just pray right now for those that acknowledge areas lord god fatal flaws that have shown up areas where they're vulnerable areas lord god where they know that they need to have addressed lord god holy spirit come in meet them at that point lord may they feel your grace not your condemnation lord god i pray that as they call out and they cry out to you for help lord god that you'll meet them quickly that you will deliver them in jesus name lord god i pray that you'll surround them with godly wisdom godly counsel, Lord God, that they'll walk in a way that honors you and they won't be led into those temptations. But just as we pray, lead us not into temptation, Lord God. Lead them out of it. Lord, we pray today that your word would take up residency in our hearts. That, Lord, as we are spending this summer diving deeper into your word, may it not just be something that lasts for a summer, but for a lifetime. Lord, help your word to come in and would it accomplish everything that you set apart for it to do. In Jesus' mighty name, we commit it to you. Amen. 
Amen and amen. Amen. Praise God.